0: to the pharmacy podcast network.
1: This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community health care. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now here's our host, Bruce Neeland.
2: Well, hello again, this is Bruce Neeland, your host, and I'm excited today to introduce you to two amazing industry people but first of all, I want to tell you what we're ta- who we're talking to is Kyle McCormick, who has figured out a way, and listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, to run a pharmacy without worrying about a PBM. So Kyle McCormick of Blueberry Pharmacy, say hello, and is it true, can you fill prescriptions and take care of people and not ever talk to a PBM?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Kyle McCormick. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, that's true. That's what we do at Blueberry Pharmacy. We don't uh, do insurance at all. And, and, and that's remarkable. And you'll tell us a little
2: bit more about who you are and how you came up with this idea in a minute. But next, I want to introduce you to Robin Amberg. Robin is a uh, Robin. Give us your title and tell everybody who you are.
0: So I am a senior director of strategic business development for prescribed wellness. I've been working with them for almost 10 years now, focusing on how to support community pharmacies and how to help them run their pharmacies more effectively in delivering patient care. So, um, I'm excited to to be here. Thank you.
2: You bet. And so Kyle, back to you, a blueberry pharmacy, um, You've owned it how long and where is it?
1: Yeah, Blueberry Pharmacy is located in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, and we opened March 20th of 2020, so right before, right as the pandemic.
0: Great time to open.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Friday before our state shut down, so (laughs) no better time.
2: So it it when when you opened, did you have this world-crushing idea to do it without a PBM and to be a cash-only pharmacy? Or, or you had certainly come from working, I, I think I remember Gotti Pharmacy, um, kind of an important one in the state of Pennsylvania for years. How did you get to this point? And did, we'll get to what you're doing in a minute, but how did you get here?
1: Yeah, so it, it kind of, um, you know, everything shapes... The future, right? So, uh, I don't know exactly when the idea came. Uh, it was kind of a culmination of ideas. So, you know, uh, always worked independent pharmacy. Always knew that that you know, if I was to stay in pharmacy, that's the path I wanted to go. And so, you know, even going back to pharmacy school, the idea of owning a pharmacy kind of got in my head whenever my friends and I entered the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Uh, business plan competition and we ended up winning. And so that was like uh, affirming that, you know, hey, possibly, you know, we could do this, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so, you know, did the competition and uh, got the itch to to kind of eventually own my own pharmacy. And then, as you mentioned, did a residency with Yaddy Pharmacy, um, was head of clinical, um, following residency, head of clinical Operations there and um, also staff pharmacists. So I got to see the ins and outs of pharmacy and also kind of the trends that were kind of alarming to me as somebody wanting to open my own pharmacy or run a pharmacy. I don't know a year in my career where the discussion hasn't been the reimbursement fell again this year and fees are up again this year. Um, and so it's like, I don't think that's the, you know, I don't think there's much promise in that model (laughs) because every every pharmacist and even going back to my school years it's like uh it doesn't seem great uh uh, nobody likes it nobody talks about how great you know running it seems
0: counterintuitive right (laughs) to fill prescriptions and lose money yeah yeah definitely yeah So So,
1: so that that um you know I didn't see a future uh, where, th- where that was super promising. So I was like, well, I still want to own my own pharmacy. And uh, I think back to uh, a Medicare patient who came in with um, g- generic Vesicare prescription, Solafenicin and her copay was going to be $300 for a 30 day supply. And this is a patient with Medicare, which is supposedly like, you know, well, we want Medicare for all. Right. So this is supposedly what we're, we want for <laughs> America. Uh, but yet yeah, I was like, I was holding the bottle in my hand and I saw it only cost 5 dollars for the pharmacy so how is uh, how is there not a world where it just makes more sense to just charge a patient you know 15 dollars 20 dollars for that same medication patient walks away, not having to shell out $200, we make still, you know, a margin that covers our costs. Um, and so is there not a world where we don't need to involve insurance in order to offer fair and transparent prices to patients? So, you know, those are some of the big driving factors. If I look back on pre-Blueberry, kind of what led, led me to, you know, experimenting with this model. The other thing was, uh, we also have a membership here at Blueberry, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit but that actually um, Stephanie, my boss at, at Gaddy Pharmacy kind of allowed me to explore that idea of membership. If we look at there are several trends of membership you know, working in pharmacy, but also definitely other industries. So if we think about like you know probably um, Amazon really pioneered the idea of membership um, and took it at scale, I'm sure there were definitely people that pioneered it before Amazon. But you know, taking that into healthcare, the idea of direct primary care—they have memberships. The idea of um, CVS CarePass, um, where they have a membership. Um, there's uh, GoodRx Gold. Um, so there's a number of memberships. So I got to explore the idea of putting a membership in, into an independent pharmacy, and so we created Gaddy Gold, um, which then became Gaddy VIP, and um, got to roll that out and got think, probably over 200 patients signed up for that before uh, leaving and creating blueberry pharmacy. So, you know, that was a little test grounds for whether or not patients are willing to pay for a membership and how to actually implement it, how to, you know, the different steps involved. Uh, so definitely took some learnings there before, um, coming and launching blueberry pharmacy. So definitely had a a number of, you know, um, realizations. And, uh, but I don't know that I really knew what I was getting into or n- really knew about drug pricing uh, until I actually opened it and tried figuring it out myself. So, uh, but if you're asking pre blueberry kind of what led me to, to wanting to open it, I think those are some of the biggest you know, takeaways.
2: Well, well that is an amazing story. And, and I, I guess one of the pieces of good news, it's good thing. You didn't come to a person like me or another, industry uh so so so-called expert and ask for ask for our help because we would have told you it's impossible you couldn't do it so it's a perfect example of of somebody not knowing any better being able to do something that the smart people or the other i I hate to say i'm a smart person or an expert but you get the point i we would Mm -hmm. have said no way you can't do that um so robin you got a question for for kyle well
0: i i mean the the I have a few, but the one that pops out to me, that's the, I think hopefully the the most obvious or the one that everybody is scratching their head is, is, you know, sometimes what makes the most sense is the hardest to implement. Why, why, why isn't everybody doing this? What's the downfall? What's the risk factor to this? And, and, uh, what do you think I guess makes this work?
1: Yeah. And I guess, um, Probably possibly one of the best ways to answer that is now the post blueberry reason like, no, now that we have blueberry, what is the actual reason for doing it? And uh, so I mentioned, I, I learned a lot after opening it because I, you know, I came in with this naive, like, um, this has gotta be a way to transition with solar fennus in a fair price. Like that was the sole driving factor, right? Post opening, I actually have more of a, more of a philosophy, more of a mission behind it. In that I, I heard Robert Popovian, who's um, kind of, uh, he's, he was previously with Pfizer, helped with there. He was the VP of Government Affairs, something along those lines. Um, but he was on a podcast and I heard him say the idea of, you know, these are fundamentally non-insurable products. Um, and I never had, that never thought my, thought never crossed my mind. You know, I, I was probably like most Americans, but those people was just, We have insurance. We have health insurance. We should be using it for everything, including generic drugs. Why not? Um, But that became kind of the driving mission, kind of um, the realization was uh, generic drugs are fundamentally non-insurable. If we think about insurance and what we have insurance for, it's for high-cost unknown events. Um, So we we buy car insurance in case we're in an accident, not to cover the scratch in our car. We buy home insurance in case there's lightning strikes it, not in case we have a blind fall off the wall, um, you know, uh, high cost unknown events, and so the unique thing about health insurance, and I think, is more of the complex system and um, the opacity and, and the lack of transparency, uh, and all the incentives that are in place to keep the system going the way it is. Um, we just have this assumption that uh, if we have health insurance, we have to use it. Also, if we have health insurance, it should you know work for everything, uh, which is kind of a bad assumption um, and it doesn't actually work with what insurance is intended for. So you know whenever we have prescription insurance, uh, instead of it covering the metformin that only costs five cents for a zero dollar copay, it would be a lot nicer if it worked on a little bit better on some of the high cost unknown specialty drugs, right? Um, and so really, I think what it would what is now the driving force of Blueberry Pharmacy is that I, I honestly believe most pharmacies will transition, if not all community pharmacies will transition to this model, because of the fundamental truth, first principle, that insurance is intended for high cost unknown events, and ninety percent of prescription drugs being filled are not high cost and they're not unknown. They're they're predictable every month. You're going to have to take it for the rest right. of your life.
0: Right. So is there is which is I mean fantastic. It's a like- you're absolutely right. My then question is: Is insurance is a business model of itself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we know um, they're obviously a profit center. So, is there is there any risk on their side that they're going to be coming uh, coming after businesses for not running the medications through insurance, or do they look at this as a positive win too that they don't have to cover those? those those medications
1: yeah i i I don't know because i'm not in the insurance side (laughs) if i were to guess i think that it's kind of like they they already know yeah like they'd have to know that no from an insurance perspective these are not insurable products i think a lot of the feedback that we hear is you know um the the idea of data and, and understanding the data. So if right. they're going outside of it right now, right. are the data warehouses essentially. Right. Uh, and so I think one of the biggest pushbacks would be the idea of, you know, Lots of
0: visibility. Things are,
1: yeah, things are being filled outside of the system, then we don't have a, a good idea of risk and we can't properly manage risk, which is fair. But I think that we're, we're capturing data and, and doing it in a bad way. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on data privacy and data and healthcare um, that probably are whole podcasts of themselves, but uh, you know, I don't, I think claims-based data is kind of a crappy way of doing things like even from a, you know, adherence-based perspective. uh, If it makes more sense for all this to be outside of insurance, then why does the insurance entity need to be the one necessarily? Why why is it based on claims? It could just be, you know. uh,
0: It brings the provider back in the conversation and talking about coordination of care right mm-hmm. it, the information and health outcomes and well
2: let me ask a dumb yeah. question on that are, are you not sending your prescriptions through any sort of switch
1: no because then we'd have extra fees added on too <laughs> yeah yeah um, but uh, you run them I,
0: through from an inventory like you're still i believe you use a, a pharmacy management system yeah, obviously yeah. for dispensing so they're going through that at least for inventory management and control just not being adjudicated from a insurance claim correct
1: Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so there are companies that, you know, like for us, we would still see it, you know, prescribed wellness using that data. So we could still support a pharmacy like mm-hmm. yours because we can yeah. see that information.
1: And, and I'll, yeah. And so like, that's where it's like, we could properly collect data and, and share it in a meaningful way. The problem right. is that right now it's a very one way street with data in that ensures drive all the benefit from it and don't share it correct so um, the idea that you know if we are owners of that data um in that and we're not actually owners so pharmacists is where we're starting in the data i very much believe that pharmacists anybody that touches data that's not the patient is custodials custodians of that data um or or kind of like stores of that data the true owners of that data are the, the patients themselves um and so and so, you know, whenever we start thinking about it from that perspective, there's definitely ways that we can use tools to be custodians of the data um, and properly respect patients' privacy and you know do um, sharing of data um, that that is more in line with that perspective um, that doesn't involve insurance. because um, there are tools like tabula rasa that you know would allow for such a thing to happen. Um, but it's now we're we're currently caught in the insurance world where that's the only way that we collect data. And that's the only way that we are able to manage a patient is through claims, Um, which I would argue is not true because we've been now in business for two years and we're properly caring for patients possibly more so than uh, most pharmacies do. Um, and we don't have insurance helping us do that.
2: Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast listeners, this is Bruce Neeland with a shout out to the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative, better known as IPC. Over the years, it's been my pleasure to work with IPC, and they have a number of programs that help pharmacy owners do more and be better. I invite you to check them out at www.ipcrx.com. Thanks. Well, that brings me to, I guess, my core question is I understand 80 to 90 percent of the prescriptions are generic, but 80 to 90 percent of the dollar volume is brands. So m- most of your patients <clears throat> have to have a brand medication need from time to time. Are, are they willing to go to two pharmacies to handle that or uh, how, how do you share or handle the Patient who needs a brand and yet has three or four generics that they're filling,
1: yeah. So, actually, maybe I would push back a little bit on, on the, those assumptions. Um, in that you know, 80 to 90 percent of prescription actually, 90 percent, I think, is some of the um, especially if we start looking at insulins and their biosimilars as being like even if we actually had proper use of Semgly, uh, which is a biosimilar auto substitutable for uh, Lantus. Uh, which is half over half the price of cost. Uh, like that's that's essentially a generic. And and so a lot of those things, um, you know, a lot of insurance props up the use of uh, brand name products that we'd probably actually see a higher percentage already if we if we didn't have insurance forcing brands. So but right around ninety percent. And so nine out of most patients aren't on now if we're talking, you know, um high utilizers, they would definitely have about um, but most patients don't encounter brands until they have multiple complex disease states, so I think already the majority of like 51% of you know or more patients would would not really need. Uh, brands till um, they have a more complex disease state, and then from there, if we look out maybe past twenty twenty five, whenever Eliquis is supposed to have a generic, and we'll see some start to see some of the um, great diabetes management therapies. Right now, start go, going generic. Hopefully, uh, towards the later twenty twenties, um, we're starting to see you know ninety five plus percent of medications um, that are all generic. So, and if we look at the drug pipeline, a lot of it is for um, complex disease states, cancers, um, you know, monoclonal antibodies, very complex, um, therapies, high cost therapies where there's not a ton of pipeline for, you know, a new blood pressure medication or a new cholesterol medication or a new, um, even I mean, there's still a lot of work on diabetes, but I think some of the therapies we have now, I don't, I think they'll they're pretty mainstay. They'll be, um, pretty great in the future too. So, so, um, So, I really think we'll see a a dwindling number of patients on brand therapies. And if I think, you know, uh, if we're able in a community setting that only dispenses generics to care for 90% of the patient's drug needs or 90%, we're the ones that also are best poised to provide pharmaceutical care for that patient as well. So, and we already have patients using multiple pharmacies. Um, and so, uh, we, we often get the question around fragmentation that we might be introducing to patients care because we only dispense generics. But if we look out into the grammar, the grander scheme of things, um, there's already, you know, narrow networks for specialty drugs where patients have no choice but to get it filled somewhere else. And and yeah. and so it's already being forced into the world where there are we see a fragment of bifurcation of the marketplace where um, really all generics are going to happen in the community setting. Uh, every community pharmacy will have generics and brands will be more of a mail order, especially um, high costs. Um, and in fact, and actually I'm not a lot of there's a lot of concern over that. But actually, from my perspective, I actually like that model because. Um, it really doesn't make sense for, um, if we think about some some of the rare disease states, it doesn't make sense for the 20,000 plus independent pharmacies across the country to each have a copy of that product in their store. Right. And, and already we're having to, you know, order that next day for the patient so that we have, so why not just have it ordered next day and shipped directly to the patient and I don't want to have that inventory in my pharmacy because it's a high cost. Um, and uh, it's also increasingly rare disease states that are in, in rare you know, use cases for a lot of those therapies. So, so um, I don't mind that as long as I know the patient's taking it. So if I already know 90% of what they're taking, it's a lot easier to, to um, add up to the list of two other meds that they might be getting mail-ordered to them than it is for the opposite way. So I think we're best poised to still provide care for the patient and best understand what all they're taking.
0: Yeah, I love that. So can we ask about your membership? I wanna learn a little bit more about your membership program. Um, I'm very interested about that. And and even one of my questions is, is, how does that compare to the concept of concierge? Is it the same concept? Is it different than concierge? I'm very interested.
1: I'll be honest, I don't know too much about the concierge movement. Pharmacy, so I can't really speak to how it compares. Um, but the idea of membership, um, the idea behind it was uh, our cost plus model is cost plus ten for thirty day supplies. So if a patient does have nine or ten medications, in dispensing fees alone, that's ninety to hundred dollars a month. And, and I think about like the actual what a pharmacist does. You know, the very first time we go to fill something, if it, speaking specifically about chronic medications, like blood pressure, diabetes, um, cholesterol, you know, the very first time we fill something, you know, it's a much more, it's a greater lift for the pharmacist. So we're probably having to do transfers or, you know, the the very first DUR that we do for the patient of making sure that all, that all those combos are safe and effective. That definitely requires a lot more work. But if I think about the monthly filling of that, you know, we're still checking, but if nothing's changing, There's not much added cost to that, right? So to to justify $90 to $100, which is almost a full hour of pharmacist time for somebody that it doesn't take that long. It's like not, it doesn't line up with the actual cost of of providing that service. Um, And so... It was like, well, how do we lower that so we are attractive to patients with complex? Because if if that were the case, it would be very unattractive for a patient with complex multiple therapies to use our pharmacy. So it's like, how do we lower that monthly or that um, dispensing fee, uh, but still not lose money on a a patient? And the idea of membership was they're going to pledge loyalty to us. for the next quarter or year, to say, "Hey, I'm your, you're my pharmacy, you're my pharmacist. Um, we're going to lower your your monthly um, or your dispensing fees because we're going to make money regardless of whether or not you're filling anything." Um, and so that was the idea, and it actually, I love it because it actually, and this is stuff I hadn't thought about, but it actually realigns a lot of incentives for patients. So uh, right now, the traditional model is whenever we only get money for dispensing products. We're very much product um, and script volume focused. So the idea is, I don't know if any pharmacists pharmacists would actually look at it this way, but in reality, if we're presented with a new prescription that may not be the best for the patient, it is that, you know, in the moment, that means another fill, more money, right? Mm -hmm. Versus like in reality, it may be best if they don't take it. It may be best to actually reduce the number of prescriptions being filled. It may be best to get patients off therapies, but that's not an aligned incentive in the current model. Whereas in our model, heck, that's less work for us. And, um, and so we're still gonna get a membership regardless of whether or not they're, you know, filling that medication. Uh, and so, heck, let's let's optimize therapy as, as much as possible. Let's increase efficiency as much as possible. In fact, Sync is one of the best things because, you know, the more um, we synchronize patients uh, and, and the more we optimize their therapy, the less uh, fill burden that's on us and we still are collecting memberships. Um, are, so, are you willing
2: to share the membership fees with us? I mean, how does that rate? Yeah, so it's
1: $60 a year um, or $18 a quarter. Um, and so um,
0: And what is the patient? What's that what's that sell to the patient? What, how do you present that to the patient?
1: Yeah, so the patients very much view it as a way to lower their dispensing fees. So okay. they'll lower their costs of the care. We view it as a medication management fee, so it justifies our time, you know, talking with the, educating the patient, um, you know, helping them with. Um, questions outside of you know the filling process we view it as a way to like say you know this is the money we're getting paid for our service of being a pharmacist but the patients very much view it as like you know this helps lower my costs so you know if you're a member it's going to get you a free quarterly delivery uh and also um lower the the overall cost of the medication so it's pretty easy sell to patients just because we're lowering their costs but in the from our perspective it's actually us getting paid for the service um that we provide so med sync is at the is a
2: big part of what you do a delivery is available what about compliance package or convenience packaging
1: we don't do packaging yet there's definitely a future where we could our, our the majority of our patients um just because we're kind of in the interim where insurance still is uh, has a uh, kind of dominance in the market. Um, the majority of our patients are going to be commercial patients, like um, probably anywhere from thirty to you know um, sixty, uh, with high deductible plans. So that's like the majority of our patients. Um, so usually not a ton of medications, and then we do have a, a decent population of you know sixty five and up with Medicare but the majority of prescriptions we're filling are maybe like things that fall outside of the, 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 the tier, like tier. So we're not, if we, if we start seeing um, a number of, if we, if we start getting asked for it and we also start seeing where, you know, we really are um, filling the majority of that patient's medications and it would be helpful for the patient to have compliance. There's no, there's no problem. And the nice thing about the membership too is, uh, a lot of people give away that service for free, but it's very, very time intensive. Um, right. So you can that yeah. in as a fee
0: or service. Right. So a, I mean,
1: um, this was actually one of the pilots at Gaddy was we we said anybody that's getting packaging, you've got to be part of our membership.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so way to kind of monetize the, the service of packaging. Um, and so similarly, if we added on that tier, it would just be instead of, you know, $60 a year, we might charge you $200 a year you get all your meds packaged and and sent to you, you know, um, but they already have the nice thing about our patients is um, it's all built in. um, They know that, you know, we're going to charge fair and transparent prices. um, And so if we have to add an extra layer of service, um, that's going to be a different membership tier.
2: Hey, Robin, I'm going to let you go ahead and ask the next question, but I feel honor bound to at least take a moment and uh, indicate that you know kyle's the owner of blueberry pharmacy i'm the host of the pharmacy crossroads podcast robin amberg is a co-host here today and many of you may already know, but Robin happens to be my daughter. So there's, uh, uh, I I just felt like we needed to get that out there. (laughs) So more more importantly than being my daughter, she's the mother of my 13 year old granddaughter. So um, anyhow, uh, Robin, go ahead, ask your next question.
0: Yeah, no, great. But I just am, my mind is spinning. I, I, I love this whole concept, Kyle. I think it's fantastic, but I also can see the the, the value of future value-based contracts and the ability to get some um, payers to start paying for things like synchronization and how that just adds to your profitability even more in your model today, because again, it doesn't, it, it's just a, an exciting thing to see how, um, That really is transforming your business model, your payment model. Yeah, and and that's where it needs to go because, like you said, you're optimizing care, mm -hmm. and you're not incentivized on the dispensing.
1: Yes, yeah. I think you know often you know I always started out throughout pharmacy school like don't give all your services for free, and we do that way way too much in in pharmacy. Like absolutely, the idea of free delivery, free mailing. You know, nobody does that. <laughs> no other industry does that. Right. Uh, I mean, if if they do, like even like Amazon's or you know, it's built into to the process cost of the product one way or the other. But in pharmacy, we have no way to like. I could technically, I guess, you know, increase my you know cost plus in order to you know factor that in. But you know, there's no pricing power with with the traditional model to where that ever makes sense. Uh, I mean, I think historically we just made enough in the margin. That, it, that we could justify it, but, um, you know, we should not be doing a lot of the free stuff that we're doing um, because it, it just then makes it hard to ever charge for it. And um, well, it, it is a, a service. It,
0: it does. And I guess my next question was leading to the patient's perception. So I, I would think that most patients think that when they're using insurance, when they get those things, you're getting paid for it because mm. that's part of their insurance program. Mm. Right. So when you eliminate and you're upfront and say, Hey, we're not taking insurance. You're paying for this. I think it has to level set the patient's expectation that they wouldn't expect you to do these things mm-hmm. for free. So yes, they understand there's a cost to them um, because I do think patients think that you get paid for that by their insurance.
1: Company. Oh, yeah, they yeah, totally do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. So has the what has the patient response been? I mean, do they know coming into you that this is how it works? Or do you have to educate them and say, we don't take your card? How, tell me how that is perceived on the patient side
1: definitely a lot of education that's probably one of our biggest barriers is like i said earlier it's, it's kind of we have this mentality in, in america where you know if it's part of my health insurance it should be covered um and uh or if i have health insurance that's the best price and that's the only way to possibly right. get this medication um and so a lot of it is you know educating patients as a lot of questions we get are like well how are you able to do this i like right. <laughs> I don't know why I have to answer this question. Like one of my favorite quotes was, you know, um, a patient who their previous copay was going to be $300 a month. And now it's like $30 a month. And they're like, well, how are you able to charge $30 a month? And I was like, well, it's very easy for me to explain. It cost me 20. I add on 10 and therefore it's $30. Like my question is, how are you know, how, like it's easy for me to justify my cost. My question is, why aren't you asking this to your insurance company and asking for them to justify how, right. despite you having insurance, your copay is still $300? Like, where's that price coming from? Because I don't know. Like, I don't know how, you know, I mean, I, I know it's based on AWP, usually, customary. Right. But, but, like, It makes so much more sense, but the fact it's very frustrating that to some extent we get questions on on the legitimacy or on the um, the the feasibility of how we're able to price things. Whenever ours makes, it's just you know ours has parallels to other industries, and traditional pharmacy very much doesn't parallel any other industry. So I'm going to jump in here with the personal question. So
2: my wife takes Ziptomag uh, made by Medicare. Are you familiar with that product? Yeah. So um the the short version is is she's been on a couple statins, they didn't work and so we went to Ziptomag. Um, because I did a podcast with the CEO of Medicare and, you know, they've got Marley pharmacy out in North Carolina. So she's paying $90 a month for a branded medication that if she bought with her insurance card would be $300 because the company has completely gone around the PBM model. Mm -hmm. Do you carry zip to mag? Are there some brands that you do carry?
1: No, and I, I, you know, towards the, the idea of a bifurcating marketplace, um, where most community pharmacies will be dispensing generic medications, which account for 90% plus of a patient's medication list. Um, I don't see a world where community pharmacies, where it makes sense to carry brands, um, just because, um, it's a lot. It makes a lot more sense to warehouse um, and send directly to the patients that need those specific products. Um, for the the great example is Lipitamag. Um, Marley is a mail order pharmacy. I think licensed in all 50 states. So it makes a lot of sense just because it's not that common. I, I actually have never seen a script for Zepidemag. So, so it doesn't make sense for me to have it in hopes that somebody walks in and has a script for it. It doesn't make sense for me to have an idea of product on a shelf, just so, you know, hopefully somebody walks in. So it makes a lot more sense for those unique cases for those to be just warehoused you know, in, in a couple um, warehouses across the country that, directly yeah. to patients that need it. So-, so then shortens the, it actually allows, so I think we'll see a lot more of that. We already see it, you know, the Mags 1, Qsimia, uh, a lot of branded manufacturer. a lot of branded drugs now are going direct to consumer, um, Synthroid Direct. So there's already a program for patients that take Synthroid to get them direct. So I think in a lot of, it actually makes a lot of sense because by going direct, um, usually then it, it allows the Manufacturer to have a better patient relationship, so that hopefully the patient will stay on that manufacturer drug. Um, also, it, it um, kind of um, increases profitability for the manufacturer because um, they're able to, you know, uh, market directly and then have a greater percentage of that cut. Uh, they don't have to share it with a wholesaler and a pharmacy and all that stuff. So, it um, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of branded drugs to go direct to consumer.
2: So speaking of a lot of sense, does it make any sense for anybody else to try what you're
1: doing and how could they get help? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I might be biased, but I think I think the, uh, the industry is moving this way. Um, you know, to some extent, we're already seeing it. There's a lot of uh, Nadac Plus type uh, Medicaid models where it's national average drug acquisition costs plus a dispensing fee. Um, Capital Rx is a uh, you know a PBM that's doing transparent um, cost plus. So I think one way or another, cost plus is the future for all of pharmacy. Uh, definitely biased by saying that, but. Um, so I think it makes sense for every pharmacy across the country, if they want to persist into the future, to have cost plus be part of you know, the strategy. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It never made sense to me why we wanted four dollars for Lisinopril and accepted, or or even a greater example is like forty one cents is acceptable for filling a Metformin, but then we 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 want to to make sure we get two thousand dollars on Tecfidera. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, because it requires the same amount of time, effort, knowledge, uh, schooling to dispense both of those products. So we should get paid the same service fee for dispensing both of those products. So I don't know how, I mean, I kind of have a sense of how we came to um, that. we, We expect, you know, massive reimbursement on some drugs and then most of them we barely get reimbursed over the cost. So, I, I think, um, you know, I think cost plus just makes more business sense, makes more sense in, in, in actually the service that we provide as pharmacists. So, I think, you know, definitely every pharmacy should at least be familiar with the concept and hopefully uh, will consider, you know, incorporating that strategy into other price medications. You want uh, to take a minute and tell us how you can help with that? Yes, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a consulting company called cost plus. Uh, pharmacy consulting, uh, where we can help patient uh, pharmacies across the country um, kind of consider converting to this model, or you know, if somebody wants to do a startup like Blueberry Pharmacy, um, where this is their their sole model, um, that's how we help patient uh, pharmacists across the country um, incorporate these strategies, um, anywhere from membership to just how to price medications, uh, how to market the model. Um, so that's kind of the, some of the services that we offer. Robin, you get the last question.
0: Well, it's not a profound one, but I did want to ask, are you still layering in other services? Like, are you a vaccinating pharmacy?
1: That's tricky. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so so, the frustrating thing there is that, you know, vaccines are... We definitely could, we'd have to have medical contracts um, because most of those aren't necessarily done with PBM. So right. certainly, I never want to sign a contract with a PBM. I'm not opposed to signing medical contracts. Um, it just kind of gets a little messy and kind of, uh, right now our sole focus is on, on driving the cost plus model.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I think the future of pharmacy, we, we definitely are, you know, the prime vaccinators across America. So I think as pharmacies and even ourselves will eventually be vaccinating. So we do some, uh, but it's not a core component. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, whenever it comes from a service perspective, all the services will still persist. A lot of the question is, um, what is insurable fundamentally and what is not, Okay. Uh, yeah, I think as a society, we're starting to ask this, even like um, with the direct primary care movement, uh, we're starting to evaluate what actually makes sense to go through insurance versus what doesn't. Um, so I think we'll, we'll see that a lot with pharmacies. We'll con- continue to be operating labs or doing point-of-care <laughs> testing or you know, vaccines. Some of them will be insured uh, and possibly more so on the medical side. Some of them will be a lot more cash pay, self-pay, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is the FSA payment type options. So I, I think it'll be continually evolving, um, but I always think pharmacies will, will exist that have all those range of services. Well, listen, um, I, I'm a whole lot smarter
2: now than I was a half hour ago, but thank you so much. I, I do hope uh, somehow or another I get an opportunity to see, come out and see you and see your operation Um, You are the second pharmacist I've interviewed on on my podcast program, who I haven't actually met and been in their store. So you're kind of a pioneer on my podcasting (laughs) career as well. And thank you for that. Um, Hey, with that, uh, everybody, uh, that's the end of Pharmacy Crossroads today with Kyle McCormick, uh, owner of Blueberry Pharmacy in the Pittsburgh area. You're in some little town out there. What's the actual name of your town, Kyle?
1: Pittsburgh, yeah, we have a Pittsburgh address, but Westview is the north part of Pittsburgh that we Okay.
2: In. Well, listen, thank you so much and uh, we'll talk again soon. And for Pharmacy Crossroads, here's Bruce Neeland hoping something we said here today will help you do more and be better.
1: Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit pharmacycrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you.